Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today has been a true fan of professional wrestling since his childhood. He has been a promoter of pro wrestling since the 1970s. Was awarded the Red Bastine Friendship Award from the Cauliflower Alley Club in 2020 and is currently the executive director of Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce Mr. Herb Simmons. Herb, thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Well, Brian, I appreciate the invite and uh, uh, my hat's off to you uh, for what you do on your uh, program, keeping the memories of uh, the passion that uh, uh, we share, uh, and that's the professional wrestling. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I started this a little over two years, well, just under two years ago now. And uh, it's been a process and I try to reach out to people and uh, sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they say no, but uh, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the old era of wrestling and I'm just looking forward to doing it some more and more. And with people like yourself coming on, it's, it's great because it brings that passion back that, that era when, I don't know, the kayfabe era, I guess, when it was on. And I just, I think that's a missing component of today's, the, the wrestling that's on television today. That's just my opinion. I don't know how you feel. Well, and, and it's not only an opinion, it's the truth. Um, uh, when uh, kayfabe uh, went by the wayside, the, the, the uh, sport that I grew up on, and I'll call it a sport, even though, some people say that, oh, it's not, it's uh, entertainment. And, but, uh, you know, I grew up in that era of the late, great uh, Sam Muchnick, uh, yeah. who was president of the National Wrestling Alliance for over 40 years. And in his uh, protege, a young man that started with him when he was 16 years old, Larry Matasek, and uh, yeah. was my good friend. And so, um, you know, I, they're never going to take that away from me because that's what I grew up on. Um, Back in the day of, uh, you know, Dick the Bruiser, uh, Johnny Valentine, uh, Pat O'Connor, uh, Gene Kaniski. Uh, you know, I'm from the uh, uh, St. Louis region, and that's where Wrestling at the Chase uh, back uh, started on television in 1959 when Sam Muchnick and the owner of the television uh, station, Harold Coppler, uh, made an agreement on an airplane, and it ran until 1983. And in fact, this month we'll celebrate. Uh, if it had it stayed on TV, we'll be celebrating the 63 years of it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I uh, I've talked to other people that were uh, 
like George Shire. Uh, he's great a guy. Great, yeah, guy. He's a great guy. And he, we I did a, a segment on St. Louis wrestling a few months back. And uh, we talked pretty extensive about the chase and, and uh, the programming and everything. So it was, I don't know if you can see there in the background. Uh, the wall. Yep. It's, uh, you know, Sam much Nick. Uh, Larry Matasek and uh, King Kong Bruiser Brody or Bruiser yeah. Brody, uh, uh, wherever he was from, depending on what name he went by, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. He was, Lewis, uh, he was known as King Kong Bruiser Brody. Yeah, and uh, when he was in the AWJ, he, he was King Kong Brody. That's how I remember him when I was a kid. He was yeah, King great, Kong. great guy. Another great yeah. friend of mine. Uh, yeah. In fact, I caught your show uh, last time uh, when you had his uh, widow on, Barbara Goodish. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great lady. She'll oh, be yeah. joining. Uh, in a week here and uh yeah. in SICW she comes in every year for me when we do the Bruiser Brody Memorial and yeah. uh we always get her involved somehow. Yeah. Great lady. Uh I spoke to her, you know, she was more than willing to come on the show and, and talk about stuff and, and it was uh it was great. She's a fantastic person. I absolutely love her. So right. let's talk about you a little bit. Um okay. Your childhood, you grew up St. Louis, you said area. Talk about your childhood, how you grew up and, and uh, kind of getting into the business. Yeah, I, I'm actually from the uh, Illinois side, uh, right out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois in the housing projects and um, grew up at a young age, very young age. Uh, my mother and I, uh, um, my brothers and sisters, not so much, but my mother and I were Abbott uh, wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to pull the little black and white 12 inch uh, television out and uh, watch wrestling at the chase when it you know, would come on on a Wednesday night and then they rebroadcast it on a Saturday. But uh, I got uh, really uh, hooked on it like a lot of us did growing up. And um, I mean, just uh, couldn't wait for it to come on television. And uh, I always said the, the, the toughest, you know, the guys like Fritz von Erich and uh, Keller Kowalski, uh, uh, you know, St. Louis, I found out uh, later on, uh, it, you know, it was the hub of professional wrestling. Uh, anybody who uh, was traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast always wanted to stop. Uh, and they were used to working in um, different uh, arenas or ball, you know, uh, uh, some of them under tents back in the Carney days. Yeah. But they wanted to come to St. Louis and work in the beautiful Chase Park Plaza Hotel, one of the the, the greatest uh, hotels in the country. Uh, kings and queens uh, used to yeah. dine there, stay there for the Vel- proper, uh, ball parade. Uh, just everybody, you know, it was a uh, it was a destination location when it come to, you know, uh, all your great stars played there. But one of the top sellers was always wrestling at the chase. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I talk, like I said, uh, St. Louis was the Mecca from the time the NWA was, uh, incorporated in 48 until the early eighties, really, uh, like you said, it was, it was the hot spot. It was the, uh, if you didn't, if you wanted to be a star, you went to St. Louis. Yeah. That's what well, I was yeah. told. You know, and you talk about the cafe part of it, but also what is lost in today's businesses, the territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
you know, when you had those different uh, organizations uh, that were part of that National Wrestling Alliance, uh, even the AWA and uh, people like that, um, everybody tried to work together to a certain degree. Sam Muchnick right here in St. Louis uh, maintained that piece of the territory. Uh, he controlled that NWA title for uh, all those years. And uh, we always refer to him as the peacekeeper because when a couple of those other promoters uh, had a little dispute over uh, who should be this or who should do that, uh, they'd get Sam on the telephone or they'd come into St. Louis for a meeting. And uh, when they left there, they had an understanding and, and Sam would uh, usually uh, be able to justify to them why it had to be done this way. And what, what I learned about Sam uh, early on was, is that very smart businessman. Uh, you know, he was a sports writer uh, early on uh, after he got out of the, uh, the service and, uh, he always said the pie was big enough to, to, to cut up. And if you had that pie and you cut it up into, uh, say, six pieces and there was a sliver left, he cut that sliver of piece of pie into six different pieces. And uh, so everybody <laughs> got equal shares. Yeah. And I think that's why he was so well respected in the business. And yeah. he, he told myself and uh, Larry, you know, you keep your ears open and your mouth shut and you'll go a long way in this business. And uh, come February next year, it's my 50th year uh, being involved in it. Oh, wow. And uh, I've, um, I've I've had people tell me that uh, my reputation is uh, one that the boys respect because when I tell them uh, something's going to be there when they come in, it's going to be there. It's none of that, that oh, well, I'll catch you next time. And uh because I, as I say all along, I'm just continuing to build on the foundation that these guys built many, many years ago. Yeah. I'll tell you, I did some research on you, Herb, and uh, you do have a lot of respect. I've read some articles and, and uh, of other wrestlers that have interaction with you, and they have nothing but uh, like total respect for you and, and what you've done. And congratulations on coming up on 50 years uh, that's a that's a hallmark and uh, it is uh, it's it's a uh, rare that somebody can do that for that long especially in this today's world you know so congratulations to you I, well I appreciate that um, like, like I said it's uh, it's and I wouldn't have changed anything over I mean one of my highlights of that 50 years is when I got to uh, meet Sam and uh, and I've tried to uh, uh, maintain what he preached. And like I said, that was treat the boys, right. They'll treat you right. Yeah. And, uh, it just, uh, it's, it's, it's worked. And, yeah. uh, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. Um, excited about being a part of the uh, cauliflower alley every year. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a great organization. Uh, Brian Blair, the president CEO, yeah. Uh, we just lost one of our good members, uh, Carl Lauer, who was uh, a great friend that. of mine for all those years. Uh, and then Charlie Smith, a uh, uh, longtime referee in the business. We lost him just a day or two after Carl. So yeah. everybody's getting older, and that's why it's so important to cherish those uh, friendships, you know. Yeah, and I, it's one of the reasons why I want to – my wife and I want to go out there this year and uh, and 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 – get into that and to, uh, and be there. I mean, 
I've, like I said, Darla Staggs, I've talked to uh, Barbara Goodish, Brian Blair, and they're just amazing people and yourself. And I really want to experience the Cauliflower Alley Club, the, the reunion. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's in Vegas. I mean, what could go yeah. on? What, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's in Vegas. You just got to remember what happens in Vegas stays in That's Vegas. That's right, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, no, it, it'd be a great time. And yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, me too. I, I, um, I, I'm just uh, excited about that. It, you know, I go up to Waterloo, Iowa every year to the uh, Thre- uh, Thes Tragus Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's always a great time with people like Jerry Briscoe and, you know, uh, JJ Dillon and, uh, yeah. Troy Peterson, a friend of mine that runs the local wrestling uh, group up there, impact wrestling, uh, yeah. uh, try to help him out all I can. And, and th- that's what I continue to try to do is help out other promoters that want to, if they want help, I, they know they can call me. Yeah. Uh, it's almost unheard of nowadays for a couple of promoters to be working together. But again, yeah. I, 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 I try to, uh, reach that dollar branch out there and say, you know, I don't know it all, but I've, I, I, I've been doing it and never been a worker, never claimed to be a worker, but neither was Sam Muchnick, neither yeah. was Larry Matasek. Uh, so, uh, but I know how to promote. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, like I said, I did that research on you and uh, that's very evident that you do know how to promote. So let's talk about how did you get involved in the business, I know you watched it as a kid with your mom, but how did you get into the the business side of getting into the promoting part of it? How did that come about? Well, you know, growing up, wrestling was big, as I said. Uh, and over in East St. Louis, there was a place called the Social Center uh, in East St. Louis, Illinois. And uh, my mom would uh, take us there. We lived in the uh, housing projects right down the street from there. And that was my first encounter of people like Cowboy Bob Ellis. Okay. uh pat o'connor uh people of that sorry and as i said i i was just hooked and so you know growing up i, I just knew that this was i didn't want to be a wrestler i just man this is fascinating it's got to be more to it i knew at an early age that there was kind of like the uh, uh uh wizard to behind the curtain there had to be some <laughs> very mystique thing to this uh crazy thing called professional wrestling and I, I kind of set my sight on finding out just what was behind that curtain. And, uh, man, I, I, I got to meet growing up. I got into law enforcement and my good friend, Larry Matasek was in law enforcement and, uh, where he lived at over here in Belleville, Illinois. And, uh, he was a household name back then. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, he would get, get me tickets to go to the uh, shows, uh, and, he would take me to the office with him sometime. He started it with Sam when he was 16 years old. Oh, okay. Uh, got his first paycheck from Sam Muchnick, $25. And he used to write the uh, programs and he would call in the results to the local radio stations. And, um, you know, Sam uh, told him he had a act for writing. Of course, Sam being a sports writer, he had the eye for that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I got to go to the office with him on several different occasions when people like Gene Kaniski would be sitting in the office or Whipper Billy Watson or Fritz von Erich. And Sam always told us said, what you hear in between these walls, stay in here. He opened up the file cabinets to us uh, and said, you can look through anything you want. Just don't take anything out of here. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and of course, now here in 2022, I have uh, a lot of those files. Uh, I have all the results from those days of wrestling. I had, I got everybody who ever wrestled in St. Louis, oh, their wow. win loss records. I've got uh, all the programs that uh, was printed for those uh, matches. Wow. Uh, and I've got uh, a large collection of tapes dating back to 1962 uh, wow. up, up until 1983. And uh, last year I was fortunate to, uh, get my hands on Dick DeBruiser's uh, TV video uh, collection that I purchased from his wife before she passed away. Wow. Because Dick DeBruiser was a big, uh, big draw in St. Louis, of course. And so now I've got the chore. They're all on the inch and two inch TV uh, uh, reels. I'm going to find somebody who can uh, download them. And, uh, but, uh, but they've, I've had a couple of them done and the quality is great. And, uh, I got to work with the bruiser, uh, you know, in the seventies when I was running, uh, quite often up into the border of, uh, Illinois and into Indiana. And that used to all be his, uh, territory in Southern mm-hmm. Illinois. And, uh, when I first met Dick, uh, we, we started off on a Rocky road <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but over years, uh, his ex-son-in-law, one of his ex-son-in-law, Spike Huber, uh, okay came to work for Larry and I, when he, when Dick blackballed him after he had uh, divorced uh, Dick's daughter and uh, kind of put Spike out of the business, except for us, we were the only ones was working Spike at that time. But, but then Dick and I, you know, we, we worked together and uh, I would use some of his talent. And uh, I started running uh, that Southern Illinois areas that he used to. And, uh, uh, but, but again, you know, uh, meeting Larry was my, uh, my start in it because he opened the door to Sam. Yeah. And then of course, uh, through Sam and Larry, I got to meet to people like Dick Murdoch, uh, Bruiser Brody, uh, yeah. Bru- uh, Crusher Blackwell, uh, Greg Valentine, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. runs my ACE wrestling Academy for me. Oh, okay. uh, I gave, uh, Randy Orton, uh, his first job on the independent market 22 years ago over okay. at the South Broadway athletic club. And so, uh, and now look at Randy. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he's probably the hottest thing Vince has got going right now. Yeah. Yeah. And he has been for all these years, yeah. but, uh, but Bob, uh, Bob Morton, like I said, he still works for me. He's up in New Jersey, uh, this weekend at a, uh, a wrestling uh, convention and, uh, he stays pretty active. Uh, he still yeah. gets climbs between those ropes for me and wrestles. And, oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Now yeah, he, he, uh, in fact, uh, just a couple of weeks back, I had him in a, in a match and, uh, he's going to be 70, I think four years old this year. Wow. That's amazing. That's great guy. Yeah. So, you know, to answer your question, I know it's a long answer, but no, you know, Larry, got me, Larry got me involved. Uh, I, uh, started, uh, doing some promotion with another young man from St. Louis. Uh, Tony Costa was the stage name. Uh, him and I uh, traveled all over Missouri and Illinois running shows and mm-hmm. helping uh, fundraising. That's kind of what I still do all these years, helping mm-hmm. nonprofit organizations, yeah. uh, fire departments, the police departments. Uh, uh, tomorrow I've got a, a uh, I don't know when this will air, but uh, tomorrow uh, in Cahokia, Illinois, I do a one for the uh, Holy Family uh, Church. Okay. We've been there several years in a row. Um and then, you know, these communities uh, uh, found out over the years that you can have bingos, you can have barbecues, you can have uh, poker runs. 
but something that always draws is professional wrestling. Yeah. Especially when you do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, now let me ask you this. You've been in this business for almost 50 years. Do you think that that, when you talk about doing community activities for nonprofits, is that to you a missing component in those the big the big ones today, like the impact up in you know and uh, AEW and, and those? Do you think that's a missing component of their run because they're not going to make any money off of it or very little? Well, but I, I think that they. It, it's kind of uh, sad that they don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, my position is I've been in public service for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in law enforcement, firefighting. I've yeah. uh, I've uh, ran an ambulance company for thirty five years. My day job now, I'm the nine one one coordinator for uh, our county, the uh, seventh largest county in, uh, in Illinois. Okay. I'm the emergency management director, so I've always been. Uh, partial to first responders, mm-hmm. whether it be police, fire, EMS. Uh, and that's one of, that's a, uh, people who always end up on the short end of the stick when it comes to funding. Yeah. Uh, they're asked to go out and save lives and protect people. And uh, a lot of times they, they, they do it on a shoestring budget. Yeah. So if we can go out and help them raise some funds for some needed equipment they do, uh, and I can do it on a small level. I hate the word independent. And I, I kind of coined that many, many years ago. I tell other organizations and wrestlers, show me a license, uh, a state that requires licensing. Show me a license that says you're an independent wrestler. It doesn't. It says you're a professional wrestler. Yeah. Um, and some of these uh, guys that are on our level go out there and work harder than some of the guys that are on the bigger stage. <laughs> yeah. I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh I, when I look at some of these organizations and I know some of them do help charitable events, uh, but a lot yeah. of times with a price tag and, yeah. um, you know, like our events, you know, uh, like for the Bruiser Brody Memorial, I'm bringing in, uh, Zeb Coulter, AKA Dutch Mantel who yeah. wrestled in St. Louis. He was big in the Memphis uh, oh. area years ago. Uh, people remember him, uh, from that, but they probably recently remember him from Zeb Coulter. Yeah. Uh, you know, Barbara Goodish comes in, uh, and I've had them all. Abdullah the Butcher, uh, uh, Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, Terry Funk, Dory Funk, uh, people like that uh, for these fundraisers. And it helps bring that older wrestling fan uh, along with the new. I, I, yeah. have a, I have a great locker room now that when we go out and do these fundraisers that they tear the roof off the building. Yeah. But they do it old school. We tell the stories. Yes, uh, we do old school uh, TV bookings. I do it just the way Sam, much Nick, and Larry Matasek did it. I'll give you an example. On May 14th, we'll have our little house show at the Bruiser Brody Memorial. I hold the guys over Sunday afternoon. It's free. We have a studio audience. We'll tape four weekly shows that Sunday afternoon, okay. and then we air we air them on uh, our social media platform and we're on an intrigue a tv station out of st louis that uh, that airs every week and it's the old school so we have that ability to tell that story over a four-week period yeah. and then guess what here's that fifth week and we're back at our house show 
in the people for four weeks. So it's got us, got us to see how we built that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it works. It worked yeah. then. And that's what I tell people all the time. They say, oh, wrestling has changed. Uh, the business hasn't changed. It's, it's the kind of the things that you talked about at the beginning, the kayfabe being gone, territories. Uh, but one of the big issues now that is a problem is the workers now, they have some bad egos. Uh, they, they don't know how to check them at the door. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to be a superstar. Everybody wants to get their uh, high spots in and not tell those stories uh, yeah. that we were talking about that, the way we do it during our TV tapings. And, and that's why we have uh, fans that follow us week after week to where they can come and see that big payoff at the house show. I got to agree with you. The, the storyline is is non-existent today and the big ones, you know, and I think that's a big component that's missing. Now there's a few wrestlers in there that tell a story, but very few and far between. And, you know, it's nice to hear that. And I, like I said, I did some research and you guys do it right. And I wish they did the territory system again, because people, I mean, there's very few that can last in an organization more than two or three years at most. Now, there's our exceptions, of course. But I mean, and then you could just move them on to another territory for a while. And then, you know, they can come back at a later date. And I think today, you know, if you're not in one of the big, the big ones, that's it. You know, then you, you, they feel like they're not contributing or they make a lot less money, but I don't know. I just, to me, when it was the territories, you know, you had the AWA, if a guy was like, okay, you're pretty much used up here. We're going to send you to uh, Florida or St. Louis. And they worked down there for a while. And I think that's a missing component today because I've been told there used to be 26 territories, if I remember correctly, at one time. Yes, sir. And then, you know, all this other stuff happened and now there's, you know, none. And it's it's well, and and that's kind of what I have the problem here in our area. Our area is oversaturated with promotions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Tomorrow night, there's probably. Uh, seven or eight matches uh, of events going on within uh, 20, 25 miles of one another. Okay. And then the rest of them are drawing, you know, anywhere from 30 people to maybe a hundred people. Yeah. And these promoters, well, why, why, where's the fans at? Well, guess what? You know, um, in today's economy, in today's world, people only have so much money for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they're going to pick and choose where they want to go. Yeah. Uh, I get uh, chastised by some of the other promotions because I, I preach that, you know, I don't want guys working for other organizations within uh, that 25 mile area. I mean, it should be more back in the day. You didn't work for another promotion. If you worked, your home base was uh, in Nashville. You didn't go to Memphis and work. Uh, you better be two, three, 400 miles away working for somebody else. And you better have that promoter's permission. Now I understand time has changed, but what I try telling these other promoters that will listen is, and the workers, if you're my top baby 
and I've got my strap on you, why would I let you go down the road 10 miles in front of the same audience usually? And they either turn you into the big heel or they're beating you up and they're saying, wait a minute, I saw you last week and you were the champion for SICW. Uh, We just had a situation happen like that. Uh, A worker won the title at one organization and five miles away the next week he gets pinned. And people are going, what, what, and and I'm the one who gets chastised because, and then what I try to tell them is I'm trying to look out for you guys. Mm -hmm. When I talk about, I want you to spread your wings and get out on the road. That's what I mean. Go to Chicago. Uh, I, I, I have guys that I send down to Tennessee or I send down to Southern Missouri. Mm -hmm. I've got two, maybe at the most three companies that I really work with. Uh, there was a gentleman before he passed away, Burt Prentice. I don't know if you remember that name. He ran, USA, yep. he ran USA. He was in it a little bit longer than I was, about 52 years. Okay. Uh, his mom used to be the ticket taker for Vern Gagne. Okay. Uh, so uh, him and I work close together. I would use some of his talent. I would send some of my talent down to Tennessee uh, we did Jerry Lawler's 50th anniversary at the Jackson ballpark. Uh, uh, a couple of my guys were down there. I had Luke Williams. I took down uh, the Bushwhacker. Uh, mm-hmm. But but these guys nowadays think that if I'm not out there doing my weekend warrior stuff uh, every Saturday or every Sunday, yeah. um, and then they want it, they don't understand why. It's called oversaturation. Yeah. Back in the day when Sam Muchnick did the TV taping, uh, kind of with the pattern that we followed, it made you drool at the mouth to say, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for that Friday night to come to Keel Auditorium. We saw last week that what happened. We saw the week before how those yeah. two guys be pulled apart. And and here they are talking about Keel Auditorium. And you'd get there and there'd be 7,000 to 12,000 streaming fans because they'd been watching it on TV for the yeah. last four weeks. Yeah. You know, they weren't doing it here and then five miles down the road the next night. Uh, right. So that's the thing that has changed. And again, I understand this is a, a new time, new generation, yeah. but the business hasn't changed. It's the people that have changed it. Yeah. It's the guys that are barely learning how to lace their boots up. Yeah. And then you got the guys who wake up one morning and say, I want to be a wrestling promoter. <laughs> they go and buy, they go and buy a ring somewhere and yeah. you know, half of them don't have insurance. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking them. It's just that, you know, if you're going to do it and, and try to do it and preserve what we grew up on, yeah. uh, you got to try to do it the right way. Yeah. And, and, um, and then they want to know why these fans are scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I think if people that, like you said, want to start a promotion, they probably would be a good idea if you work for somebody that's already running one and get that at least a basic knowledge and background of how to do it, because it's not as easy as it appears to be. I mean, I mean, I've been to somewhere I didn't understand it. And then there's guys that run them beautifully like yourself. And that's because of experience, but you've also had that mentorship. 
And I think oh, yeah. I, that, I mean, that's the, a component there that's missing a lot is people think they could start up a wrestling business, hire some guys and it's going to make money in, in, in six months. And it, it, it doesn't really work like that. You know, if, if I could have taken the knowledge that I've got from Sam Muchnick and Larry Matasek and Bruiser Brody and people, and even the Dick, uh, Dick Murdoch's of the world, when I'd have him in on a regular basis mm-hmm. to sit in a locker room and, and just pick those guys' brains. And that's what I tell my guys nowadays. When I bring in a Manny Fernandez or a Ricky Steamboat, mm-hmm. if you're not chomping at the bit to sit back there and pick their brain at intermission time, that's shame on you. Yeah. Um, I, I've had a couple of guys, just a couple over the years, say, why are you spending the money to bring them old farts in here? You know, they're washed up and we're the, the, we're the new generation. And I tell them, I said, let me tell you something. If if I really want it to be a horse's rear end, I should be charging you to come in here because I'm giving you a lesson that you can't go by anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, you know, to sit in a room with Ricky Steamboat or Tito Santana and, and pick their brain. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not doing it, shame on you because I'm giving you all, you can sit back there all night and talk to them if you want to. Yeah. And, and a lot of my guys will, uh, yeah. they'll get that out and they'll sit there and take notes. Uh, there's only been a few of them that think they know it all. Yeah. They think they watch Monday night raw or Tuesday night, this or Wednesday night, this, and, yeah. uh, that's one of the first things we tell them at the, yeah. the ACE wrestling Academy. Uh, we'll ask them, uh, who watches Monday night raw and Tuesday night, this, and when they raise their hands, we tell them, well, come back when you stop doing that, because <laughs> you can tell right away, yep. they've already got their mind made up. They, they walk in and say, this is my ring name and this is my gear I want to wear. Yeah. And they got a pair of tennis shoes on. And first of all, you need to go get you some gear. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we try to teach them the right way. And uh, we've had some good students that's turned out of there. Mm-hmm. A good uh, friend of mine, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, um, runs no. a, a great organization. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, I've sent people down there to him, um, that, that have done well. Yeah. Uh, and Tom will be the first one, uh, to tell you that spread your wings, get you three or four guys in a car and go do some road trips. And then guess what? When you sit around and hear guys like Tom Pritchard and, um, Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler sit around and talk about road stories. If yeah. you do what they've done, you know, 20 years down the road, you'll have some road stories to tell. Yeah, but you're not going to do it when you're traveling around one area about 20 miles away from one another because you're you're playing in front of the same audience. Yeah. You're fighting, wrestling the same guys, and you're not getting out there. You should be able, I should be able to send you to Tennessee or to Southern Missouri or up to Indianapolis or uh, to Iowa, and you should be able to get in your ring with somebody you've never seen before and go in there and have a great match if yeah. you're a professional, if yeah. you've been trained. Uh, trained a lot right. of these guys trained right yeah a lot of these yeah there's a difference in training and being trained right yeah and that's one of the things when people call and say hey we want to uh, become a wrestler uh, or we are a wrestler we want to come to work for you the first thing as i say well where were you trained and if it's uh from dory funk school hey come on i want you yeah. or when harley race was with us if they tell me they went to races academy come i want you yeah. But if you tell me that, well, you know, when we grew up, um, we, we jumped off of uh, the garage and we had the mattresses out there and 
and again, nothing against that other than you don't fit into what I'm doing. And because uh, the marquee says professional wrestling yeah. and, and that's what we want to try to, to bring to the fans. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there oh. are still a good percentage of fans out there that want to see, they want to believe, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. don't want to, they don't want to hear about all this other stuff. Uh, yeah. They come, I mean, I've got fans that's been coming to our shows for 40 years, generations of family mm-hmm. that sit in the front row, uh, show after show. Don't you even try telling them it ain't nothing but real. Yeah. I'm going to tell you because you're going to have yeah. a, you're going to have a real fight on your hands. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm one of the ones too, that I don't want, you know, 20 minutes of the program, somebody in the ring talking, I want, you know, like it was in the old days, they come off, they talk to the uh, interviewer for a minute or two, and then they'd leave or, you know, they announce the next match or they go in there, whatever it was, but it wasn't 20 minutes in the ring on the mic. You know, I mean, to me, that's not entertaining. Well, especially some of them don't have that ability to even do a promo to, to, you know, you know, you, that's an act. Uh, I remember Larry uh, used to tell how they'd be standing in the ring uh, to do an interview with somebody like a Gene Kaniski and the way the camera shots would be, it was always get yourself over, get the big house show over and I'll tap you on the leg when we got to wrap it up. Cause you had a floor director there telling you, Hey, we got to get to yeah. commercial here. Cause yeah. we got to pay the bills. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, but like you said, nowadays, especially with the bigger fit, and again, they've got the money. I mean, let's yeah. let's face it. Yeah, yeah they do. Uh, and, and again, I, there's a lot of people, and and I'll get chastised because I'm talking about the bigger federations. But you know, I don't, I don't even think. About, I don't go to bed at night saying I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be the next Vince McMahon of the world because I don't want to be the next Vince McMahon of the world. Yeah. Now, do I want to have his money? Yeah, I'll take it if he gives it to me. There you go. But, but. <laughs> You know, I did his paperwork back uh, when Illinois used to be the toughest uh, athletic commission in the in, in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have to have a doctor at ringside. Uh, you used to have to take blood pressures, uh, you know, do all the vital signs on the wrestlers before they got in the ring. Um, okay. If their blood pressure was up, they didn't. The doctor wouldn't let them wrestle. Well, when that was going on, when Vince would run into Springfield, Illinois or to Peoria, and in order to be a licensed promoter in the state of Illinois, you had to be a resident of the state. And for several years, I was the only one that held that ballot license. So I did Vince's about six different times and mm-hmm. I would charge him about $500. And I tell people if I'd have known what I know now, <laughs> I'd have had another But then he's the one that challenged the athletic board, uh, athletic commission and got it deregulated because yeah. he said it wasn't sport it was sports entertainment and now that's why we're oversaturated because guess what there's no athletic commission in illinois there's nobody keeping control of it and and that won't change until somebody gets hurt or somebody gets killed uh in a ring um because like i said back then they were tough on it now missouri is pretty tough missouri requires blood work to be taken and uh you know you got to be licensed and 
but Illinois really for a, a state that was really on the ball back then to drop it off uh, is sad. I, if they called me today and said, you got to have bonding because we did before you had to post a bond, you had to have the license. Uh, I'd be the first one to sign up for it because I think at that time, the strong will survive yeah. a lot better quality matches would be out there promotions. Yeah. And again, it would make these uh, other promotions start getting better. Yeah. And that's what needs to be done. They need to get better. Herb, I agree 100% with you. Um, everything you just said, I, you know, and I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my early fifties and I, I've, so I've seen, you know, when it was what you said, how tough it was to get a license and to, and all that. And, you're right. It was better then. And also the promotions, they would come to the small towns. You know, when I'll give you an example, AWA was in Minnesota, Minneapolis. I lived in Wisconsin about two, two and a half hours uh, Northeast of Minneapolis, but they would come once a year to my hometown, to this Catholic school that they did a, uh, a fundraising event for. And they'd have it in the high school or in their Catholic school gymnasium. And it was, it wasn't the no namers that would come. It was the back then, the Pateras, the, yeah, the, the Nick Bockwinkles, the, the, the Greg Ganyas, the Jim Brunzels. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and it was but great. Baron, he was yeah. probably there. Uh, yeah. And, and, and now you wouldn't see. Uh, like the big ones, the WWEs, the the, the AEWs, they wouldn't be. They go to Minneapolis, but they wouldn't come to Rice Lake. I know they yeah. wouldn't. They might. They probably go to Milwaukee, and that's about it. And Green Bay, maybe, but that's it. I mean, and that's just a sign of the times because it's about money. And well, I get and, you got to make money, but yeah. Well, and and that's the thing, and, and I I say all the time that people say man, when will wrestling at the chase ever come back? Mm. Well, the NWA, the new NWA, Billy Corgan, yeah. was there uh, a year ago. And yeah. uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, to work with him on that. Uh, but I've told Billy, and, and I hope he watches your program here because he knows I'll tell him the same thing. In order to say you own the NWA is one thing. Mm-hmm. You have to know what the NWA was. Otherwise, you just bought three letters. You bought the NWA letters. If you don't know anything about the history of it, and you can claim you want to know about it, but you got to know the fundamentals. You got to know how Sam Muchnick held, like we talked about at the beginning, how Sam Muchnick held it together for all those years. Um, I can take any worker out there that's worth his weight in gold and I can either make him a baby or I can make him a heel in one night. I have proven that. Um, it's, it's, that's where the magic comes in. Yeah. And it's nothing real hard. It's just knowing how to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I am so fortunate that I've got a locker room of guys that are professional wrestlers. Yeah. They understand that it's not about, uh, you know, I got to have this title. I got to have this. It's about putting butts in the seats, as Sam used to say. Yeah. 
And, and I tell people nowadays when I get asked to do shows like this and, uh, and I really, again, I want to thank you for uh, having me on because I enjoy is talking about wrestling, as you can see. Yeah, uh, I do but I tell people it's like it's like baking a cake. You got to have all the right ingredients. Yeah. You know, you got to have that destination location. You've got to have a good group of workers that understand the business. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, you got to have the fans. And so how do you get the fans? You got to have the good workers yeah. and You've got those ingredients, you'll be successful at it. Now, you're not going to make a million dollars. You're probably going to lose money, but you're going to have fun doing it. The fans are going to love it, and then you're going to take them back in time. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's why, you know, we've got a film coming out June 4th. The premiere of Wrestling at the Chase comes out on PBS 9. It'll be streamed all, it'll be all across the country, streamed across the country. Um, I think I told you uh, I was honored to help Larry Matisek write the first book of wrestling at the chase. Yes. Uh, and here uh, recently I was honored to help uh, the author Ed Wheatley write the second book on wrestling at the chase. Okay. And then I've been honored to help him with this film that the premiere will be June 4th. Yeah. Uh, I got to see about a two minute trailer of it last night. And yeah. uh, uh, I think it's going to continue carrying that legacy of wrestling at the chase on because yeah. it talks about, you know, start to finish with Sam Muchnick. Uh, and, and I think you'll see some sequels to it because it's an hour film and you, and you can't take something that was 63 years this year mm-hmm. and condense it into an hour program. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, the author Ed Wheatley has wrote a lot of books on uh, baseball, the St. Louis Browns. Uh, he won some awards and Emmys on the films for that. And I think he'll win an Emmy on this. Uh, because it's such a household to this day, you walk down the streets of St. Louis, Missouri, and you ask them who was the toughest wrestler you ever went and seen. And I guarantee you, they're going to tell you Dick to Bruiser. Dick to Bruiser was a household name in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, the second one is going to be uh, Bruiser Brody. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it, even the, you know, when we were interviewing people for the book, the stories that were told about how grandma would get down on her knees and be counting with the referee one, <laughs> two, three. And, uh, you know, uh, or you'd go to grandma and grandpa's house and pop popcorn and drink root beer floats. So when wrestling at the chase was on, yeah. you heard that over and over yeah. when, uh, Larry, when Larry Matisek and I reproduced, um, uh, 12 volumes of the wrestling at the chase tapes, 20 plus years ago that people are still buying today. Yeah. Uh, we heard those same stories. Um, and that was a fluke. Larry, I knew Larry had those uh, films in his den. And I, we, we talked every day, not a day went by him and I wouldn't talk. And, uh, and I, every day I'd say, why don't we do something with those films? And he'd always say, Oh, Herb, nobody wants, they're not interested in that. He said, I'm going to keep them. When Kelly gets older and has a family, she'll be able to show him what grandpa used to do. And one morning, boy, he out of the clear blue sky, he calls me and says, you're right, big boy, let's do something. So yeah. we found a producer. We re, we remastered him and we, we put the first three volumes out and I'll show you how long ago it was. We put them out on VHS. So we didn't know anything about DVDs then. Right. So the yeah. volume one, two, and three were on VHS, and we were selling them for thirty four ninety five for a two hour VHS tape. And 
and we didn't plan it that way, but when you, we got them all done, we looked at the calendar and it was like the first of November of that year. And I called Larry. I said, do you realize what we've just done? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, what's the next big holiday past Thanksgiving? Christmas. And he said, Christmas. We, we, in my living room at my home, my, my, my kids, we had ironing boards, the old ironing boards, you know, yeah, yeah. Had. Yeah, yeah. we had them set up and we had an assembly line and my, my uh, children were helping package them up. I was making the labels for the front of them. Uh, my, <laughs> my little post office here in East Cronlet, where I've been the mayor at now for 39 years, okay. uh, my wife would pull up down here every morning with boxes of tape. We shipped them all over the country. And um, so the gentleman who put those first three VHS tapes out, went through a divorce and uh, got out of the business. So we had to find somebody else. Well, Larry found a gentleman who used to uh, coach uh, volleyball with him that was in the business. So we go to him, take him some of the tapes. And he says, man, how old are some of these? And we say, well, the oldest is 1962. He said, man, they're probably like sawdust. He pops it into his machine and good, good quality. Yeah. He says, I got a question for you. He said, why are you doing them on VHS? And Larry and I looked around and said, well, what are we supposed to be doing them on? He said, DVDs. And we both looked at him and said, what the hell is a DVD? <laughs> he reached over to drawer and pulled out a DVD. And then from that point on, we started yeah. putting on DVDs. Yeah. And we did 12 volumes. And uh, when Larry passed away, we were working on volume 13. And I keep telling myself I'm going to finish it and get it yeah. out there. But uh, he was so, uh, it's like he had another book he was working on. And he was one chapter away from getting it done. And oh. uh the, the the story of that is the difference between Sam Muchnick and Vince McMahon. Yeah. And it was probably, it was probably the hardest book that he had written because yeah. I, kept, I said, you know, this is going to be the hard one. Cause you, you start it with Sam. Yeah. He was kind of like um, your mentor uh, taught you everything. And then you worked for Vince McMahon for 10 years. So you got to be honest. Yeah. And I'm going to make you be honest because I knew that Sam was a crude businessman and I knew Vince McMahon was very, very crude, shrewd. And Larry despised Vince McMahon on what he did to him in St. Louis and stole yeah. the TV away from him. And I said, but you, you can be harsh, but you can't be hateful because yeah. people will see that. So, yeah. so I know what the last chapter is he wanted to put in there and, and his wife and I keep saying that we're going to, get it done and then let her publish it and, and go out and, and try to get the word out there. But yeah. uh, if, if he could have lived a little bit longer, he'd have finished it. Yeah. Well, you're a busy, busy, busy man. I, I will say that you've done a lot of stuff and, and a mayor and a emergency manager. And, wow. Yeah, but I love, I love wrestling. You love wrestling. <laughs> That's the best part, right? That's my, I tell my wife, that's my escape from uh, re- reality. And yeah. even though every day I got to go to work, uh, yeah. I still enjoy it. Uh, I mean, yeah. like tomorrow night, getting ready for the big show and then the yeah. Bruiser Brody Memorial. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, we're booked up throughout the rest of the year. That's great. And uh, it's a, um, uh, you know, and then if I go to Cauliflower Alley, that's always a great time. And then yeah. Waterloo, Iowa. Today I was on the phone with a gentleman, uh, Seth Turner from, mm-hmm. uh, Albany, New York, of the Hall of Fame that they're putting it up there. Uh, great, great thing uh, taking place there. I hope to go up there the end of August. 
They've invited me up there. Great. because they want to, and, and the, here just goes to show you the impact of St. Louis and wrestling at the chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Turner doesn't know a whole bunch about St. Louis. Didn't know anything about wrestling at the chase. Cause he's from New York area, you know, New Jersey, all that area on the East coast. But he has read every one of Larry Matasek's books and he got so involved with the reading and the writing of how Sam Muchnick conducted his business. He has patented himself um, of different things that Larry wrote in that book. He said, I could visualize Sam. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when he, when he hooked up with me just the last couple of days, JJ uh, Dillon's uh, daughter, Pam uh, and JJ is on the board of directors for that place up there. And of course they all gave me a good bill of uh, good bill of sale for him. Yeah. Uh, told me, he said, man, he says, you, you are, it's like the stars got aligned because that's one thing that our hall of fame is lacking is that NWA connection. Yeah. And, uh, with you having the tapes and, you know, I got, I got the books of all the programs that, uh, Sam produced, yeah. uh, dating back to, uh, the late thirties and forties yeah. before he was even with the NWA. Um, so I've got all of them that hopefully some of them will end up in that hall of fame of people yeah. to be able to, uh, to view them and enjoy them like I do. Yeah. So you're kind of the, where George Shire is the AWA historian. You're the NWA historian. No, George, I, 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 I appreciate my name even being mentioned with George because George is a walking encyclopedia. Oh, I know he is. Yeah. I, the only other guy that I knew, the only other guy that I knew that 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 I would, I'd hate to see them two sit down if I was Larry Matasek. Yeah. Up until the week before Larry passed away, he was still matchmaking for me, putting my matches together, wow. still writing the books. Yeah. And uh, if you said, uh, Larry, do you remember what Gene Kaniski's family, who was all in his family? Just like that. Uh, Or if you ask him, hey, do you remember in 1969 uh, when Pat O'Connor took on Luthez? He'd say, oh, yeah, it was a two out of three fall match. Thez took the first fall with the uh, Thez press. Just a walk-in. And that's kind of a George Shire. Oh, that's George. Yeah. That's George. So I appreciate you mentioning my name with George. But, no, I I love George. Yeah, uh, he's a great guy. Great guy. And uh, he – you know, there's a lot of those. You know, Scott Romer, uh, another good friend of mine, um, you know, was with Dick the Bruiser. Uh, was married to Dick's daughter also at one time and a uh, great photographer. Uh, he took photos of uh, presidents and kings, queens, you name it. Uh, uh, Scott is a, a, a great guy. Yeah. Uh, another one that knows the ins and outs of the business real well because he worked with Dick the Bruiser and, yeah. uh, uh, there's a lot of those guys. Bill Apter. Now there's a guy. Yeah, Bill that, Apter that made people's careers. Yeah, with those magazines. Yeah, uh, I oh, yeah. love Bill. Yeah, Bill and I talk all the time, and uh, I brought him in one time. It was his birthday, and uh, he wanted to get involved. And uh, you know, normally you'll see a routine where I got a, a, a pesky manager that 
you would think that he'd end up with a cake in his face and, and, and Bill said, no, 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 it's my birthday. Let him put the cake in my face. And, uh, and of course we did. And then of course he got to do his karaoke and sing in my way. And uh, so yeah. you know, I love, love Bill after yeah, and uh, but there is a guy, you know, we inducted him into the St. Louis wrestling hall of fame and he was so proud of that. You know, that was the other thing Larry and I started uh, yeah. with a couple of other individuals at St. Louis and, and it's a true hall of fame of people who built the business starting yeah. with Sam Nick and Whipper, Billy Watson, uh, Fritz von Erich, uh, the Briscoes, the Funks, uh, Johnny Valentine, Cowboy Bob Ellis. Uh, there's no limousine drivers in it, of course, uh, <laughs> or any movie stars. Yeah. Uh, these guys that laced their boots up and, uh, Penny Banner was the first female we put in there. Okay. Uh, the May fourteenth, uh, we're inducting Joyce Grable, who was another uh, one of the females wrestlers that was in St. Louis quite a yep. bit. Uh, we're putting her in there, and we're going to be close. We may have room for one or two more, but when we first started that, the first uh, seven inductees, we allowed the fans to uh, uh, vote on them. Okay. But then after that, I told Larry, I said, "This is too much like work because you know you got." all the fans opinions and I'm feeling the questions and trying to. So I said, we've got all the stats from everybody who worked there. Mm -hmm. We knew who had the draw power. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of base it on that. And so from that point on, we started just doing, you know, how many matches uh, Dick the Bruiser had, what was his win loss ratio? Uh, What was his drawing power, which was great. So that's why he, he got in there real quick. But uh, but now it's uh, when you talk and we got a portable one that we can haul around. In fact, that's what I talked to Zeth Turner about today of taking it up to New York the end of August and uh, put it on display. Awesome. Well, that's great. You know, I wish I could get to that uh, Bruiser Brody Mm -hmm. Memorial next weekend, but unfortunately I won't be able to and won't be able to go up there in, in Iowa in July, but I will be. In yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Vegas and, that's great. You'll have a great time. Yeah. yeah. And I hope to see you there. If you, I hope you make it and I'd love to meet you in person. And yeah. again, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on to uh, the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man from what you even just told me in this hour. Uh, you're quite busy. So I appreciate the time. Well, I appreciate the invite and please uh, keep up doing what you're doing. I've, you. I've went back and researched the, a lot of the ones that you've had on there and a lot of them as friends of mine. And yeah. like I said, the one you and Barbara just did uh, yeah. was great. Uh, I, I called her and said, quit mentioning my name in those podcasts. <laughs> and uh, but she's, you know, she's a sweetheart. She and, uh, yeah. and uh, like I said, she, uh, uh, for what she went through in 1988, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I think uh, the wrestling is what's kept her going all these yeah. years now, and yeah. uh, it's really a blessing for her. But, but again, thanks for having me on. Anytime I can uh, fill yeah. a spot for you, yeah. uh, all you got to do is call me. Thank you, Herb. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Herb Simmons, if you're listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you, and we will talk to you soon.